0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. we want to turn our attention now to God's Word. So if you brought a copy, I want to invite you to find it, open it up, turn it on. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair nearby. Maybe tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, Hey, could you pass me that copy of God's Word? And they'd be happy to do that. If you're using that particular copy that's under the chair, page 951, we'll get you right to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We've been in the book of James for probably five or six weeks now. We're calling this Gospel on the Ground. James was a pastor. Of the church in Jerusalem. It was the first church. As a matter of fact, the people that he's writing, they're Jewish Christians. They would have been the first, they would have all been first generation Christians. There were no Christians before these Christians. There were followers of Yahweh, but Jesus had not yet come and risen from the dead. And so, this gospel, the teachings of the apostles, as Luke calls it in the book of Acts, nobody had ever really understood this or teased this out before. And so, James is writing to these early first generation, first century Christians, and he's not given them a lot of what, but he's given them a lot of how. He's given, he's given them a lot of, here, here's what it looks like in the practical sense, here's what it looks like fleshed out. So gospel on the ground just means what does this look like when we put handles on this? What does it look like when a relationship with Jesus gets traction in your life? Now if you have been flying under the radar the past couple of weeks thinking, you know what, Pastor James, I'm not partial, so I'm good there. Or, you know, my, my faith, it works, so I'm good there. If, if that's been you, hang on. Because he's going to get us all this week. Because we're going to the tongue. So the title of this message, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, is Words Matter. Words Matter. Now every single week, I leave stuff on the chopping block after I've prepared a message, and I don't know that that has ever been more true than with today's message. So don't ever let the extent of your engagement with a text be what I give to you. Take your notes, go home this week, trust the Spirit, and engage with this because there is so much more in these 12 verses than what we will get to and unpack today. So let's look at it. James chapter 3, beginning verse 1, we'll read down to verse 12. Let's give our attention completely... To God's word. Not many of you shall become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, a mature man. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. By hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, or my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May God bless the reading and now the declaration of his word. If you're taking notes this morning, this is the big idea. It's the through line. It sits over top of the text, and we'll unpack it for the next several minutes. Gospel-grounded Christians understand the truth about their tongue. Gospel-grounded Christians, those of us who have been set free by the Spirit of God and are walking by the grace of God, we understand the truth about our tongues. Now, studies have been done, more than one study has been done, regarding the effect of our words on plants. One particular study, maybe you've seen this or come across this, was done by Ikea. And Ikea took two of their live plants from their warehouse and they took two of these plants, identical plants, and they took them to a school lobby, a middle school, high school lobby. And they put the two plants right in the lobby. And then what they did is they looped a recording, an audio recording, a different recording for each one of those plants. And the one recording was primarily all negative and bullying and uh, degrading words. And they looped that over that plant so that that plant would just hear that 24 hours a day. Things like, you're useless, you look rotten, you're not even real. Then the other plant, just right on the other side of the lobby, they also looped an audio recording, a continual audio recording, but it was all positive. Things like, I like, the way, I like you just the way that you are. You seem to be blossoming, and that makes me very happy. Just words of edification for this plant. So two plants in the lobby, one all negative, the other all positive. Well, then they got the students involved, and they told the students to go up to the negative plant and just bully it and talk down and trash it and just, just speak bad words and unkind words to it, and then go to the other plant and just only speak kind and encouraging and uplifting words to that plant. And the results really speak for themselves. After thirty days, just thirty days of that constantly going on in the lobby of that particular school, I want to show you a picture. Here are those two plants side by side. Thirty days. Have we considered the effect of our words? The effect of our words on people? If this is how if this is how words can affect plant life, what about our kids? What about our spouse? What about our coworkers? What about our neighbors? Now, we spend a lot of time talking, don't we? It's hard to determine just how many words we speak in average in a given day. Some of that might depend on your job. Some of that might depend on your occupation. And, yes, some of that might even depend on whether you are male or female. How many words you speak? Some studies have said 7,000, other studies have been upwards of 20,000 words a day. That doesn't even include what we might text or what we might put on social media. But what, are those, what kind of an effect are those words having? Nothing is more uniquely you than your tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. It's the tattletale of the heart. It, it's actually revealing what's really going on on the inside Scripture de- describes t- the tongue as wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. Ancient rabbis often would, they would not refer to the tongue as a dagger. They would refer to it as an, as an arrow because of its ability to kill from a distance. So we must not be ignorant about the truth regarding our tongue. Gospel-grounded Christians understand the truth about their tongue. So the question becomes, well, what's true about my tongue? Our text today is going to answer that question, and we're going to see five truths about our tongue. And we need the gospel to get traction when it comes to our words and to influence these areas of our speech. So the outline is going to look like this. There are five of them. There are five truths. We're going to move pretty quickly here. And again, there's a lot more in here than we'll even be able to unpack. So come back to this this week. Look at your notes. Go to your life group. Be ready to tease this out and discuss this. The truth about my tongue is, number one, I am judged against it. I'm judged against it. Verses 1 and 2 are the first first part of verse 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, James is including himself there, will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many or various ways. You've probably heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. It's true. The word teachers here would have referred to the rabbis or anybody who would stand and teach or preach in a public setting. And this uh, position of being a rabbi was a place of prominence. It was a place that was revered and elevated. As a matter of fact, there were some Jewish teachings that would say that if if your family and your rabbi were both held hostage, you should ransom the rabbi first. It was just a very prestigious, prominent position, but it was also a place of responsibility. Because just as soon as you speak, you will be held accountable for what you say. So evidently, there were some who wanted the position of being a teacher or a rabbi, but they were not ready for that position of responsibility. So James says, Not many of you should become teachers. Jesus rebuked the religious. As a matter of fact, some of his strongest rebukes were were always toward those who were religious. And he says in Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Today, Pastors would be the modern-day equivalent of this. And when you look at Scripture, there are requirements to be a pastor. One of the requirements to be a pastor is you have to be able to teach. You have to be able to take what is true about God and His gospel and His truth and expound on it, whether it be in a public setting like this or in a life group or in a discipleship setting, the ability to take and to teach the Word of God. But there's also another requirement for pastors, and that is that they must be above reproach that they would not just be able to take the word and teach it but that they would also live a life that is a reflection of what they have taught because of this very principle that Jesus or that James is expounding on today so for pastors and for teachers really teaching is an occupational hazard electricians sometimes get shocked lifeguards sometimes have sunburn it's just kind of part of the job right well pastors and teachers sometimes we don't live by what we teach about what we preach. And James is saying that shouldn't be the case. Live a life that is consistent with what you are teaching and with what you are preaching. And so the application then extends beyond the stage because every one of us are teaching. Every one of us have eyes that are watching our lives and ears that are hearing our words. And those two areas must be consistent. That what they see in the way that we are living and what they hear and what we are speaking match so if you're a parent, you're teaching. If you're a grandparent, you're teaching. If you maybe teach in the kids, City Point Kids, and you're leading a group of kids, or maybe you lead a life, a life group, or maybe you're, you've got a group of guys or a group of ladies and you're doing discipleship, or maybe you're just living a life that you're trying to share the gospel with people at work, like you are teaching and you are preaching some things, and now there is the responsibility to live according to what you have spoken. And so if you are particularly eager to get up on the stage and to teach, man, I got a word, I got to say something, I, got to, I just always seem to have something from God and I want to share it with people, okay, well, hang on. Because you will be judged by greater strictness if that is you. So the application here is that we must live according to what we teach. Nothing is more humiliating as a parent than sitting down one of my kids and correcting something that they're doing and they look at me and say, Dad, you just did that or like I'm 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 saying saying to one I won't use any names cuz I don't want to you know some of them are here this morning but I'm I'm correcting one of my boys I can say that cuz I have four of them and that's all I have so one of my boys and I'm correcting them about their anger and about their spirit and about their tone and they'll say dad you sound angry at me right now It's like oh man Hey parents what do we do in those moments Own it because it's just as wrong for you as it is for your kids And that might be one of the best teaching moments that you have, to say, you know what, son, I am wrong. And I shouldn't speak that way, and I shouldn't be angry, and I shouldn't allow my tone to get to that level. But that's humiliating. I'm trying to teach something. I'm trying to preach something to my kids, and they're pointing out, Dad, you do the same thing. James is saying that shouldn't be the case. Jesus taught this principle in Luke 12. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required, and from him... To whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. In other words, you will be judged with greater strictness. So if you have the stewardship of teaching truth in any capacity, there is this requirement that you would also live by what you teach. You will be judged against your tongue. That's the first truth about my tongue. I will be judged against it. Number two, the second truth about my tongue is I am steered by it. I'm steered by it. Look at verse 2, the second half there. He says, if anybody does not, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now the word perfect there does not mean you never commit any sins. The word perfect means that you are complete, you are mature. Spiritual maturity is less about age. And it is more about a consistent life that is lived as a reflection of what you speak. Think about Jesus and the control that he had over his tongue. 1 Peter 2, says that he, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Life like Jesus is a life of maturity where we are living by what we teach and by what we preach. We're steered by it. The tongue controls the rest of the body. Look at verse 3. James continues, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. I don't even have to come up with illustrations for this message. Like Pastor James has just given them to me. you got a horse. Anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 pounds. Some of them, Clydesdales, upwards of 2,000 pounds. and Then you have a bit that is about a pound and a half. And that one and a half pound bit is steering that entire 1,500 pound horse. Think about the power and the potential of what resides behind your teeth. Then you have a ship. Ships in James's day would not have been as large as the ships today, but even in the book of Acts... Paul is on a ship with 270-some sailors and cargo, so a significant enough size ship. And then you compare that to the size of the rudder. Then on top of that, James also gives us this detail that the ship is being tossed by the storm. So there's all of these things working against the ship, and yet that little rudder underneath the water is kind of steering that whole vessel. That is the power of your tongue. It steers the rest of your body. Your tongue can discredit what the rest of your life is saying. That's what James taught us in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Your tongue is actually discrediting your entire structure of religion. Your tongue is steering you away from from the religion that you say you believe has that ability and that power to control the whole body and so start with your tongue if if your life if your actions are going a direction that is not okay start with your words if you're thinking man I need help with my anger I need help with my just my critical spirit I'm just always lashing out I've always got something to say I'm just always impatient. I'm always short-tempered. If that's true of the life that you are living, start with your words. But what is true about the negative is also true about the positive. If you are wanting to see your life steered in a direction that is positive and toward the gospel and toward the work of grace in your life, start with your words. The Proverbs says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. The entire body, because of the words that we speak. This is why worship is so powerful. This is why scripture speaks so often of gratitude and speaking words of gratitude, because we are using our tongue to direct our whole body. This is why confession is such a powerful work of grace in your life, because your tongue is redirecting your life. Something about your life was steering towards sin, and so confession is using the power of the tongue to steer your life back to truth. This is why you need to preach the gospel to yourself use your tongue to speak truth to yourself and what is true about you and your identity in Christ because as your tongue goes so goes your whole body your tongue like a rudder has the ability to steer the whole ship cars today have this little feature this lane assist keeps you from drifting asleep you know, you get a little distracted or you're doing something on your phone like you shouldn't and all of a sudden you start to drift out of the lane and the steering wheel starts to shake. Your tongue should kind of be like that alert system. Like the whole body's starting to drift out of the lane a little bit. Your whole body is going towards something negative. Your whole body is going a direction that it shouldn't, and it's going to be identified by your words. So when your words start to go negative, know that your whole body is going to start to go that direction, too. When you become critical, when you, when, you be, when you start to become a short with your kids or with your spouse, know that the whole thing is going to start to follow. And so let your tongue be that alert system that kind of sends off some warnings and shakes the steering wheel for you to say, hey, hang on a second. Things are starting to drift here. Things are starting to go a direction that they shouldn't. The tongue is small, but it is powerful. Truth about my tongue is I'm going to be judged against it, and I'm steered by it. And number three... I am destructive through it. I'm destructive through it. Look at verse 5, the second half of verse 5 into verse 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I try to teach our kids that they need to have a healthy fear of fire. There's a reason that Kids need to understand that. I think we need to have a healthy fear of our tongue because of what it is capable, the destruction that it is capable of wreaking over our lives and over the lives of our loved ones. So the tongue is small, but the consequences of it are not. Fire has this unique ability to mercilessly wreak havoc on everything in its path. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. So, James here is going to give us four realities of the fire of our tongue. It's right here in the text. He says it's a world of unrighteousness, it's it's a cosmos of wickedness. There is nothing that our tongue is not capable of doing and saying. The amount of destruction that it's capable of producing. Even something as small, a phrase as simple, a phrase, a phrase as short as, I hate you, has irreparable damage. It's a world of unrighteousness. Then he says it's staining the whole body. In other words, it's not just causing damage where you see the fire, it's causing damage in other places as well. There, are, there is direct damage and then there is indirect damage to the fire of our tongue. A couple of years ago, Amy's mom, my mother-in-law, had a fire in her basement. And they were able to contain the fire. They were able to put the fire out. But when they came back to do the repairs, they did not just go to the area where the fire was. They had to strip the the drywall from the entire house all the way down to the studs because it wasn't just the damage from the fire. It was also the damage from the smoke. And oftentimes it's not just what we say in the moment, the, the direct fire of our tongue. It's also the smoke damage that is caused by what we say. It's staining the whole body. Then he says it's set on fire the entire course of life in other words it's it's spreading out it's starting to take over it's not just you now it's your you and your spouse it's not just you and your spouse but now it's the whole temperature and tone of your home it's not just maybe you and one other person in the church but now that critical spirit and that unforgiveness and that bitterness is starting to spread to the entire church family and it's starting to wreak more and more havoc and then he says that it's set on fire by hell he said it not me like James went there the word underneath the word hell is the word Gehenna it was a physical location outside of Jerusalem it was a basically a trash heap and they would burn this pile of trash And there was so much trash that was on this pile that it just—it really never stopped burning. And they would take even the bodies and the carcasses of dead animals and they would throw it on this pile. And they would take the bodies of criminals who had been executed who didn't have a a burial place or who weren't worthy of a burial place and they would throw their bodies on this pile. So it was this constant burning and it was full of maggots and, and, and flies and it was just this disgusting heap. So Jesus would refer to this place, metaphorically, to speak about the literal place of hell. He would say that it was an unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And everybody would have that picture of Gehenna just outside the, just outside the southwest side of Jerusalem where that fire was just constantly burning. And so see the picture of our words. The tongue carries with it the destructive force of hell. The ability just constantly burning, constantly aflame. So the key to the destructive nature of our tongue and its potential to start fires is that we need to get good at putting fires out quickly. You ever heard the phrase, fight fire with fire? That's literally what we're doing. The same tongue that caused the fire can be used to put it out. So just like that great theologian, what was his name? Smokey the Bear? (laughs) Only you can prevent forest fires. So something as simple as, I'm sorry. Same tongue, different words. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? What I said there, what I did there, that was not a reflection of Christ in me. That was, I should not have done that. And in those simple words, it's amazing how just, just like that, that fire goes out. The same tongue that caused it is used by God to put it out. Gas. Water heaters and gas furnaces have what's called a pilot light. And it's always lit. It's always on. And the idea there is that when you need your hot water or when you need your house warmed up, you just got to turn the gas on and the gas goes over that fire, that pilot light, and it ignites and it starts to warm. It starts to do what it's supposed to do. Your tongue and my tongue, it's like that pilot light. It's just always on. And it isn't, isn't it amazing that just, just, just a little bit of fuel, just a little bit of frustration, just a little bit of something... Just a little bit of kids nagging. Just a little bit of the spouse with a sideways comment. And boy, that little pilot light just just erupts into flames. What's true about my tongue? It has destructive power. So gospel-grounded Christians are going to understand the truth about our tongue. What's true about it? Number four, I'm powerless over it. I'm powerless over it. This is verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's the truth. I know what Smokey the Bear said, but here's the truth. You cannot tame your tongue. You and I do not have the ability to control our tongue. Let's say that together. Can we do that this morning? I can't control my tongue. Can you say that with me? I can't control my tongue. You and I have, will have better success controlling and subduing wild animals and beasts than trying to tame our tongue. The word tamed there does not mean to domesticate or to try to like teach tricks. This isn't like trying to teach an alligator how to sit or something like that. But it has to do with subdue. And all you got to do is go to Phoenix Zoo and and you see that we've found a way to subdue, to capture just about every type of animal. And that's what James is saying. Every beast, every bird, every creature of the sea. Listen, you figured out how to get them into your aquariums and how to get them into your zoos. But the word that's used here is the same word that's used in Mark 5 about the demon-possessed man who could not be held by chains. No one had the strength to subdue him, to tame him. So the word that comes to my mind that describes our tongue is the word "savage." Now, I know that's pretty harsh, but that's what James is getting at here. You do not have the ability. If you are trying to wrestle your tongue to the ground and control your own words, you can't. I can't. Two qualities that he sh- that he shares with us of this the savage nature of our tongue. He says it's a restless evil that means that it's unstable it's irregular it's unpredictable I mean have you ever just been amazed about the stuff that comes out of your mouth like man where did that come from I didn't even know I had that much anger in me I didn't even know I said those kind of words and boom they just come out it's because it's a restless evil it's just unstable and then he says it's full of deadly poison that word poison means venom Paul in Romans 3 would quote the psalmist when he says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. And so scorpions have tails and vipers have fangs. And we have our tongue. The ability to pierce, the ability to hurt, it's uncontrollable. And so what must we do? We must submit the control of our tongue to someone stronger than us. So, yes, I can't control my tongue. Not through natural means, but my tongue can be controlled through the supernatural means of the Spirit of God. Allowing Him to have control. Allowing myself, uh, putting putting my tongue under the submission of His authority. Allowing Him to control my words and to filter my words. Galatians chapter 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. I want to put it up on the screen here for you. And consider how many of these words, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit are a reflection of our words and our tongue and the things that we say. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. So tongue control is a matter of spirit control. If you feel like your tongue has started to cause more damage than it should it's not about you wrestling it to the ground but yielding yourself to God submitting yourself to the work of the spirit in that moment of anger towards your boss in that moment of frustration towards your kids in that moment of impatience towards that driver who just cut you off in that moment say a prayer spirit of God control my words control my words control my words because it's savage it's a, it's, it's a restless evil. It's, it's full of deadly poison. You and I do not have the ability to tame it. The truth about my tongue is I'm going to be judged against it. I'm steered by it. I'm destructive through it. I'm powerless over it. And number five, and finally this morning, I am inconsistent with it. Verse nine, with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers or Christians, these things ought not to be so. So the only thing that's consistent about your tongue is that it's inconsistent. We are blessing our Lord and Father. We are praising him on Sunday morning. We are singing his praises. We are raising our hands and we are loving one another and we are praying for one another and we are doing all of these things. Then we get in our car and we yell at our kids and we curse off that guy that cut us off. And we get ticked off because the parking lot was full, so we didn't get into the place that we wanted to go to eat for lunch. So from the same tongue, we are blessing and praising God, and we are cursing people. And then James says, who are made in the likeness of God. It's the imago day that all of mankind, every man, every woman, Every boy, every girl, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of social status, regardless of whether or not you are a believer or an unbeliever, everyone has been created in the likeness and the image of God. So it is the height of hypocrisy that we would praise God and then curse his creation. So James says, these things shouldn't be so. And then he jumps into more metaphors. If I've counted correctly, I think there are 12 in this paragraph alone. He's just like throwing them out this morning. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Springs only produce one kind of water. Trees only produce one kind of fruit. And no doubt, again, James is being influenced by his half-brother, Jesus, here. James did not come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah while Jesus was in his teaching ministry. It was only after the resurrection that Pastor James put faith in his half brother Jesus, but no doubt he would have heard the teachings and been influenced by them. And so here's Jesus saying essentially the same thing Matthew 7 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So what's coming out? Is it salt water? Is it the wrong kind of fruit? Is it not the reflection of a gospel-changed heart? Because if it's coming out wrong, it's, it's a reflection of something at the source level being wrong. And so only a yielded life creates a consistent flow. Really the fourth point and the fifth point kind of go together. Allowing the Spirit to control my tongue and yielding myself to God. We will spend the rest of our lives battling the tendencies of our flesh. And the inconsistent outflow of words caused by this ongoing struggle. And yet Paul will tell us in Romans 6 that we are to present, which means to yield, our members to God. Yield your members to God. So when salt water is coming out, when fresh water should be coming out, or when the wrong fruit is being born on the tree that is not a reflection of the nature of Christ to whom you are connected, then that is a moment for confession, that is a moment for repentance, and that is a moment for yielding again. Saying, God, what I said, what I spoke, it's not a reflection of who I am and who you have made me to be, And so I confess that to you, and now I yield anew and afresh to you. And so we have a choice to make. Am I going to yield to my tongue, or am I going to yield my tongue to God? Am I going to allow Him to control my words? And the goal is not just that we would stop saying bad things and stop lighting fires with our words. But the goal is that we would ultimately use our words to build up And to edify, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as fits the occasion that it may give grace. Words of grace, words of gospel truth, words of transformation. God wants to use your tongue to do those type of things in the lives of people. So here's that big idea. We've covered a lot of ground, but here it is. Gospel-grounded Christians understand the truth about their tongue so let's just say we were to do an experiment this morning and let's say we were to take everything that you said last week and just loop it in an audio recording and take another fresh plant from ikea and allow your words to be what is looped over that plant what would that plant look like after a couple of days or a couple of weeks or even a full month if you think that what's coming out of your mouth is an inconsistent reflection of the gospel that God has placed into your heart, listen, there is a moment today where we need to respond. So the truth about my tongue is I am judged against it because my actions do speak louder than words. I am steered by it. It might be small, but it's powerful. I'm destructive through it. It's that pilot light and it's merciless and all it takes is just a little bit of kindling and a little bit of fuel and it just takes off. I'm powerless over it I can't tame it and I'm inconsistent with it blessing and cursing and that shouldn't be so so the gospel needs to get traction in our mouths That sounds a little funny but hey that's the reality the gospel needs to get traction on our tongue with our words the gospel needs to start influencing the things that we say And so I have one question for you today typically I've got three for our learning to live but I've got one learning to live question for you for all of us really not just for you this is for me too where does your tongue need the attention of the Spirit think about that I'm gonna ask the worship team you guys can come up and prepare for our last song but think about that question where does your tongue need the attention of the Spirit do do your actions condemn your words Are your words steering your life in the wrong direction? Have you said something this week, maybe even this morning, that burned someone that you love? Are you frustrated by your inability to tame it, though you've tried and tried and tried? And are you simultaneously blessing and cursing? Listen, this is a pretty big deal. Because death and life are both in the power of the tongue. So, I want to do something this morning a little different. I want to have a moment of prayer. And I want you to take a moment to just respond where you're seated to whatever God has spoken to you about, whatever area of your life with respect to your words needs the attention of the Spirit. And would you just think for me, just for a moment, consider the difference that could be made in your life, in your marriage, in your home, with your children at your school, in your workplace, in our church, if we would live our lives with our tongue and our words yielded to the Spirit of God. We are all capable of the worst of the worst from our mouths. Every single one of us. So we have to understand the truth of our tongue so that we don't fall prey to what it is capable of doing. So I'm going to ask Brock, I'm going to ask the team just to play something quietly, play something softly. And as they do that, I want to have a moment of just responsiveness to God. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to pray, would you bow your head, close your eyes in this moment. If you want to pray with your spouse, pray with your spouse. If you want to gather your kids close by, gather them close by. If maybe you said something to someone today or even last week and they're right here in this room, Why don't you go to Him? Why don't you go across the room and say, hey, what I said to you this week or at Life Group or last Sunday or what I said through that text, that, that wasn't a reflection of a gospel changed heart. You can do that right now. Whatever God is doing in your heart, however He's speaking to you, take a moment of reflection and response and just talk to Him. Talk to Him about your words. that we want to pray like the psalmist that you would set a guard over our mouth that you would watch over the door of our lips we can't do it we are incapable but you can so whatever needs the attention of the spirit today with respect to our words I pray that you would do it Whatever change, whatever transformation needs to happen, I pray that your spirit would bring it. And I pray that we would be the kind of people that don't just believe the gospel, but that we would speak the gospel and that the gospel would be reflected not even in just what we say, but also how we say what we say. Lord, I pray that if somebody here this morning has hurt someone, They've caused some fire damage with their words. I pray that they would go and fight fire with fire and use the same tongue that caused the damage to put it out and just say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I, I spoke something to you. I said something to you that was not a reflection of Christ in me. Will you forgive me? And I just pray that that would be the regular pattern and habit of our lives. Do what you desire to do and do what only you can do. Thank you for this text. Thank you for it's just how practical it is and how helpful it is to each and every one of us. Continue to do your work and help us to use our words to lift up Jesus and to edify one another and to pray for one another and to speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. And we'll thank you for what you continue to do. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at City Point AZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life, that you are loved.